today on the Rita Mimi Do It Show. They were able to not take the terrible advice of, well, just don't care what anyone thinks about you, which is horrible advice. Because if you don't care what anyone thinks about you, number one, that's never going to happen because you're human, unless you're like a psychopath or a narcissist or something. But, you know, if you if you don't care what anyone thinks about you, you wouldn't post on social media. You wouldn't get, you know, dressed nicely in the morning. Like, we're going to care. So that's stupid advice. But all the women that I interviewed, they were like, it's not that I don't care what people think. It's just when the stakes are highest and at a most critical crossroads, I care more what I think about my choices than anyone else. Because of Rita, I got on the news. Because of Rita, I had 15 speaking engagements last year. Because of Rita, I've become a six-figure business owner. Because, because, of, because Rita, of Rita, Rita I've, I've doubled my revenue by doubling my clients. I'm Rita, business strategist, speaker, and success coach. Also known as the gal who went on 35 dates in 35 days and vlogged all about it. And this is the Rita Mimi Do It Show, where every week I bring you the real information about what it takes to go all in on your dreams so that you can build a profitable business and live a positive life. Some weeks I'll have a guest and others it'll be just you and me, like we're out on my deck sharing a bottle of wine. The conversation, yeah, it'll be that real. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Read and Mimi Do It show. I have been telling you about this one for a while and I'm really, really excited that it's finally happening. I have my friend Erin King here. We are going to talk about so many different things, but really I've been saying we're going to talk about big deal energy and we're going to talk about what that means and why you care about it or why you should care about it, why you need to incorporate it to be successful in your life and your business. And it's just going to be a really fun, great conversation. You're going to walk away with knowing how to achieve your goals, what's keeping you from achieving your goals, how to kind of really connect with people through your messaging and so much more. So Erin, I'm so glad you're here. Thank you for joining me. Thanks for having me, Rita. I'm so stoked to be on the Rita Made Me Do It show. I know. I know. It's so great. I mean, like there's so many people. So guys, like full disclosure, right? Erin is somebody else who I met through Clubhouse. I mean, I'm sure I would have met Erin at a certain point anyway, because we run, we run in like the same kind of circle of people on the, it, through speaking, but like, because of Clubhouse, I have met Aaron. And so this is another, another great connection and another great interview today. You know, Aaron, the way that I start my podcast is to ask my guests, like to tell me about themselves at age seven. So what was Aaron like at age seven? Do you remember? Oh, wow. We're going to go there out the gate. Yep. Okay. We're going to unpack all the baggage from childhood in the first two minutes. I like your style. <laughs> so, I, you know, I mean, honestly, I don't know that I have changed that much from when I was a kid. Um, my mom had a copy of a book called Raising Your Strong-Willed Child that was like dog-eared and underlined <laughs> and highlighted. So I'm pretty sure I was just the same high energy handful uh, that I am today, but definitely more of a tomboy, like building the forts, playing touch football, coming home, you know, scraped up and, and bruised and bloody from, you know, doing God knows what running around the neighborhood. And um, I just had a really, you know, super fun childhood. I grew up on the East Coast in Maryland. So I'm two thirds East Coast and one third California. Only been here about 10 years. So <laughs> uh, yeah, you're not too, I mean, you're from Baltimore, right, Baltimore, right? Not too far from where yeah. I am in Northern Virginia. So uh, I exactly. almost DMV. You know, I asked this question because there was some study done a long time ago and everybody I've asked, it really has resonated as true that you're at your most authentic self at age seven. 
And they say that that's because, really? yeah, because and it makes sense when you get down to it, like the, the gist of it, the, the quick snapshot, Cliff Notes version of it was that you are old enough to kind of know who you are, but not yet old enough to care what other people <laughs> think about you. Right. So you're like at that sweet spot mm. where it's like you are just really authentically you and that if you ever start feeling disconnected from things in your life, you know, at a certain point in the future, Ask yourself, are yeah. you aligned with who you used to be at age seven or not? Right? Like they're pieces of yourself. That's when wow. and when I, I the story I shared is that I was a speaker, or you know, you know, I speak, but I had stopped speaking in my business. I had stopped, I got so busy in my business serving clients when I first started. Yeah. I stopped speaking and I was feeling really like I loved my business, but I felt really like kind of down about it. I couldn't figure out why. And then someone asked me that question and I was like, oh my gosh, it's because I was a little performer at age seven. Like I loved speaking and talking and that's how I like connected with people and all of that. And I wasn't doing it at all. And the minute I started incorporating it back in again, like the fire lit inside of me. So are, do you feel, I mean, from your reaction, I mean, from your uh, answer, I think you really are still in alignment with like seven-year-old Aaron. Well, I, I love that story, by the way, that that's how you helped yourself reignite who you were meant to be and step back into that that sweet spot of not a child um, who doesn't know who they are, but also not someone who really gives a crap what anyone thinks about them. <laughs> what a beautiful space to to tap into. I love that so much. And and yeah, I, you know, I think what's interesting is when you think about being that age and whatever your birth order is or your backstory with your family. I mean, that really is is a space where, you know, I just came from spending a, a whole weekend in Delaware with my mom and my dad and my little nieces and nephews, who, funny enough, are seven, five, and three. And I hadn't seen them since before the pandemic because, of, you know, travel and everything. And just seeing their personalities, my, my godson, Connor, is seven. And he really, we all said, like, this is definitely who he's probably going to be. Like, he knows who he is. He's kind. He's he's thoughtful. He's caring. He's empathetic. He's like the emotional, like love bug of the three kids. And, and we were all just saying, gosh, I really hope he stays like this, like through the, the gauntlet of middle school and, you know, the, the hallways of high school and whatever life's going to throw at him. And my brother was like, yeah, I, I got him boxing gloves to teach him how to box. I'm so afraid that his sweet nature, once he gets out into the, you know, quote unquote, real world of, you know, middle school and high school, I just want to make sure he can, he can hang basically. Like he's so fearful <laughs> of, of his sweet nature in, in the real world. And kind of what you're saying, like, you know, how, how interesting that we go out in the world one way, and then we can choose to modify or evolve who that is, or we can choose to stay true and grounded to who that person is at seven. I, I love that concept, Rita. Yeah. Well, I mean, and your book really ties into that, right? With all the reasons why we might get away from from who that person is. So we're definitely mm-hmm. going to dig into that. But like, so now I want you to introduce yourself to my audience, but I want you to introduce your big deal self, right? Like if you were like, I am big deal Aaron, right? B-D-E Aaron, right? Like what oh is God. it? <laughs> it's a big deal energy, big deal Aaron. Like who is that person? Like what what would you say makes you a big deal? What is your superpower? And what does that even really mean to be a big deal? Oh my gosh. Well, first of all, um, okay. So big deal energy, just to be clear before we dive into this. So big deal energy is not, it's not like I'm a big deal, like arrogant, you know, a-hole level. It's not, it's not like delusional levels, right? Of confidence. Big deal energy is, is more something that you unlock and that you tap into when you find yourself at one of those moments like, where you can just kind of see yourself at a critical crossroads. And you have that feeling, whether it's personally or professionally, like the move you make, the road you decide to take, you just have that feeling like it's it's going to have a major impact 
on whether or not you continue to level up and elevate towards your goals or whether you get stuck and whether you you get you know, kind of locked behind one of those obstacles. So the big deal energy is something you pull out in the moment where you need it. So when you're sweating through your Spanx, your, your gut's telling you one thing, you know, your heart's telling you one thing, but your head's like, no, we cannot do this. The big deal energy will be unlocked to be able to stay true to that intuition because intuition is individual and it takes guts to go with your gut. So that's what big deal energy is really all about. Now, it's kind of circling back to your question, which is, I love the... the Deal, Aaron. That is hilarious. No one had said that yet. That's funny. Um, I think my head just got bigger. Um, but no, you know, I think you know my superpower um, personally is different than my superpower professionally. You know, personally, my superpower that I'm told, and I think that really your your the one that is your power personally is probably the thing that everyone kind of tells you, like, oh my god, Rita, like, how do you always do that? Like, you always do that, and you're thinking to yourself, like, well, duh can everyone do that? Like that's, that's the thing. Right. And, and we all have that, that in us. And for me, what I hear the most from my girlfriends and my clients is I always leave you feeling a little lighter, a little better about myself. I feel like you make me feel like a big deal. It's kind of what people say. So I think that's, I don't know what I do or say, but, um, that's what I hear from my friends, I guess, that I'm able to help them just feel really seen and heard, like especially when they need it the most, you know? So that's kind of, I think, personally. Professionally, I discovered my superpower um, in the hardest moment, like a dumpster fire disaster moment of my, of my life. <laughs> Back in 2013, I decided that the world needed a tampon delivery service to be complete. And so, I don't know. I was always the girl. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Thank you. So I don't know if you've ever been the girl, you know, under the stall, like, I love your shoes. Oh my God, this is awkward. Sorry. Do you have, so I was always that girl and I just always forgot to have supplies on hand. And so I saw the Dollar Shave Club blowing up with Michael uh, Dubu's video on YouTube where he did the Dollar Shave Club and it went viral and, you know, Unilever bought him for a billion dollars. I'm like, that's it. I'm going to be the billion dollar Dollar Shave Club for women's tampons instead of men's razors. <laughs> so I went to these guys in Newport and they're like the alpha male investors, right? super tan, Ferrari driving, CrossFit bros. And I had a pile of tampons in the middle of this long, shiny conference table in a fancy Newport Beach office surrounded by all dudes. I mean, Rita, talk about sweating through your Spanx. Like I was so nervous. <laughs> anyway, I ended up raising like seven figures to start PMS.com. Well, you know, it was this big glory story. And they're like, you know, we've been on the jockey, not the horse. And I, so of course I thought this was like the beginning of my big journey, which it was. And turns out 18 months later, after all the pun intended, blood, sweat, and tears, turns out that most women are just responsible adults that get them at the grocery store. Not that big of a deal. <laughs> like, so within 18 months, like the margins weren't working. We had all these competitors crop up trying to imitate us, like, you know, HelloFlow and all these other businesses. And none of them could figure out the margins either. I mean, the, the, the industry really is owned by these two mega corporations. So long story long, I had to eat crow. We'd been like featured in Forbes and it was this like, like super awesome journey. And 18 months later, I had to eat crow, go back in that shiny conference room and tell all those guys that I had not only had I not turned it into a $1 billion unicorn, but that we had barely broken even after having to sell the three letter URL. So it was a spectacular failure. And we are talking the irony of the CEO of PMS.com. So stressed out, so low so anxious and so depressed. I stopped getting my period, which is like super random, like hair falling out in the shower, like not, you know, not able to sleep, just a mess, Rita. Like I was at the lowest point. Like 
At one point, I realized I couldn't even pay a $100 cell phone bill. I was like drinking boxed wine, just feeling sorry for myself on the couch, eating whole buckets of Trader Joe's peanut butter cups. Like we're talking low, okay? So but it was crazy because in that dumpster fire at PMS.com, the company, I actually did, as we do, I found what I was actually really good at from that huge, mega, horrible failure, which was PMS.com, the social media community was thriving. And at the time, we had the internet's largest collection of women coming together and sharing memes and gifs and period jokes and brownie recipes and healthcare studies. And it was like this place that women came together. You can still see it on Facebook. We had millions of women coming together and bonding over this kind of formerly taboo topic. And so what I realized was, oh, I know how to build communities online. And so I, I approached one of my, my contacts that had a small little local company, started helping him build his social community for his like small little camera shop. Well, over the next couple of years, ended up getting hired to build social communities for some of the world's biggest brands. Everyone from the Oscars in Hollywood to the United States Navy, Visa, Siemens, Johnson & Johnson, Mutual of Omaha, like you name it. I've worked with everyone to help them do this, but I would have never discovered my power had I not walked through like the darkest, deepest scars of, of failure, wounds of failure, which healed into luckily success scars. So that's how I found it. And that's kind of what I know how to do. Yeah, no. And I love like, there's so many points in here that I kind of wrote down that I, you know, that, that idea that first of all, every, I always say everything is working for you, right. And everything is putting you exactly where you need to be. And that's such a great example of that. It's kind of like, yeah, I went through all of this and look where it put me. It put me exactly where I needed to be. It was never working against me that entire time. It was always working for me. And I think sometimes it's so easy to get lost in feeling like things are against you, right? Everything's against yeah, you. The world well is against you. <laughs> People are against you. Everyone's against you. It's so easy. Yeah. And that's such an easy place to sit, right? It's a much harder place to think, no, everyone's supporting me. Everything is supporting me. Everything I'm going through, the world is supporting me. But also... You said at the beginning, right, when we were talking about big uh, deal, Aaron, right, that idea of, well, can't everyone do that? The things about ourselves or like, we can't, can't everyone do that? And one thing that I talk to people about when it comes to their their marketing and their visibility and, and their sales is that concept of, you know, really being able to talk about you and your superpower and what makes you different. Because, and most of the, the people I work with, they are solopreneurs, single member LLCs, right, or maybe a very small company. But People are buying from humans. And at the end of the day, people want to work with you. It's like there are a million business coaches. Why do people want Rita, right? Like there are a million of this. Why do people want that person specifically? And people don't feel comfortable enough to talk about what makes them different, right? People feel okay. very uncomfortable thinking that there's something that sets them apart. Why do you think people struggle with that and feel so uncomfortable owning these pieces of themselves and admitting like, hey, no, everybody can't do that? Well. This is a huge generalization. And I think if we can break down people, again, generalization, but people into why are men versus why are women varying degrees of comfortable talking about what they know how to do well. Do you know what I'm saying with that? Like, yeah, I feel like I don't know how you grew up or, or you know, how you were raised in your in your family. But for a lot of a lot of women um, that I know anyway, you know, anecdotally and myself, we weren't always raised to get that positive feedback when we talked about our accomplishments or we discovered that we were really smart and we raised our hand or we did express our opinions loudly and proudly, maybe at age seven, maybe at age 13, 14, 15. And whether it was in middle school or high school, some of us learned that 
not everyone liked a, a, a loud, opinionated, bossy gal coming in hot. It wasn't as praised for a lot of us as where, you know, maybe some of the guys, you know, in, that we grew up with brothers, cousins, neighbors that would be kind of bragging about their sports accomplishment or, or interrupting someone or talking up, they would just kind of get like, well, the boys will be boys. Like, you know, you know him, what are you going to do kind of thing? And so I think we as women, particularly, were sort of like, they told us to be ourselves verbally, but what they kind of meant was be yourself, but fit in, you know, be yourself, but don't rock the boat too much. You know, be yourself, but be a good girl. And so we sort of absorbed a lot of us, this kind of, you know, gender conditioning, you know, that, and obviously that's changing, thank goodness, in 2021 with, with yeah. this generation of kids that are a lot more open and, and there's so many more options and people are more accepting and there aren't these boxes that everyone's trying to make people fit into, thank goodness. But when we were growing up, you know, 30 something years ago, it wasn't really how it was. And so I think even if we are um, the most audacious women in the world, like, for example, uh, we have a mutual friend, you and I, uh, Laura Gassner Odding on Clubhouse. Yes. And I had permission to tell this story from her. Yeah. So you know Laura, <laughs> right? Like she's a total badass. Um, you know, she works in the Clinton administration. She's like 50 and has triceps of steel. She has like a million kids. She's a badass writer. Wrote a book called Limitless. I mean, she was on Good Morning America. I admire Laura. We have a, a room we do together called Level Up Live on Clubhouse. And she's like super rad. So one day we're talking about public speaking and she's like, you know, I just like... I wish I could just go up there and just like rant. I just want to rant. I don't want to be perfectly polished and perfectly prepared and organized. I just want to get up there and just do whatever. And I looked at her and I was like, well, Laura, I'm like, that's what Gary Vee does every time. Like, duh, like go up there and rant. Like, do, do your thing. And she goes, well, I'm no Gary Vee. That was her first response. And in that moment, Rita, I looked at her and I'm like, what are you talking about? You have a better pedigree. You have every much, like every bit of the gravitas, every bit of the balls, every bit of the energy, like what makes, and so the author of Limitless, who I admire greatly, her knee jerk reaction was like, oh, well, you know, I don't know if I'm that. And that moment I realized like if she doubts who she is and is uncomfortable talking about it, then I do, then you do, then we all do. Even like the most, you know, fuck it kind of, oh, sorry, F it women, you're fine. you know, out you're, there. You're fine. You can, you can curse on okay, her. Sorry. It's fine. <laughs> but even the most, you know, F it kind of women that you know, we all struggle a little bit with like, are we being too much? Are we taking up too much space? Can we really do this? And, and when I had that conversation with her, I realized I had to write this book because, you know, we all, even the most audacious among us, we all need to continue to be intentional about taking up that space, playing bigger and and finding strategies that work for us to overcome that that inner critic, inner imposter syndrome, inner gremlin, whatever you want to call it, that tells us, oh, we shouldn't say what we're good at or, oh, we shouldn't be so big because it's just a BS narrative that we've been conditioned to believe, but it's just not true anymore. Yeah. How, so how do you think it is? And, you know, all and you're right, like so many of us and I hear this over and over again from almost everyone, especially in the entrepreneurship space. But even when I was a dating coach, even when I was a lawyer, right, this came up a lot. And the idea around, you know, that that wanting to blend in because you don't want to rock the boat, you can't take up space, you need to kind of like, you need to be big, but only so big because you don't want to get passed mm -hmm. over for the promotion or you don't, you know, you don't want to do whatever. So you kind of ignore some of the things that are pulling at you, your own intuition, your own thoughts, because there's a lot of guilt, there's a lot of fear, there's all just a lot of that that comes up. So how does that 
failure, right? To be able to take up space. Like how is that specifically holding entrepreneurs back? Because you work with a lot of business owners. And so how do you see this conditioning, right? This upbringing, and a lot of it was from corporate, right? A lot of it is from corporate. So when people leave corporate and they go out to start their own business, then they're they're still following a lot of the old school corporate mentality. And so this conditioning continues there well beyond, right? School. So how is this like holding them back in business? Well, I would say, so my first company I started when I was 25, okay? And it was called Jump Digital Media. And it was a really big failure. You know, it's a, tr- a trend here in my stories. Um, so I was working in corporate. I was slinging TV ads in Baltimore City. Uh, and it was, you know, I'm going to give you a sentence that has no relevance in 2021. But um, <laughs> we, were, we were cold calling from a landline yeah. out of the yellow pages. To sell broadcast television <laughs> and, advertising. And every gen, every Gen Z right now just is like, what just happened? They don't understand. Oh, yeah. For the to... gen, yeah. Yeah. For the Gen Zers, a landmine was a phone connected to a wall incapable of scrolling Instagram. Okay. So, so, and we, we were pitching like printed out PowerPoints and getting paper checks for like none of this makes sense, right? But so for this job, I was up for a promotion against my counterpart, this guy named James. Well, I had better sales numbers, but James played golf with the boys club. So I was 23 years old and I'd go into the office. I'm ready for my big promotion. Well, James gets it. So I fully Jerry Maguire out of the office. So impetuous. <laughs> I'm like, who's coming with me? And of course, no one was coming with me because I was 23 and I was an idiot. So I jumped. And my first company I started was called Jump Digital Media, building websites. Well, I managed my money terribly. I, I got to the point where I had like employees that I had to do a, a cash advance, my personal credit card to make payroll because they had kids. It was a mess. Another dumpster fire. So I had to go back to corporate and admit defeat. I worked in corporate running uh, digital communications, marketing, and social media for a company called auction.com, which at the time was like an eBay for real estate, Fortune 100. And I got all my experience. I dug out of my debt. I had my 401k and my IRA and all the safe handcuffs, salary crap, and got the itch again when I saw this Dollar Shave Club thing with Michael Dubin and started PMS.com. So jumped again, failed again. You heard that story. And then it wasn't until that third round, third time's a charm where socialite finally took off and my life changed. And I got to do all these incredible things and then speak and write and everything that I get to do today. My point is, long story long, bringing it home to your original question, is I think what holds us back as entrepreneurs is that we aren't willing to believe in ourselves to an almost delusional level that we do have what it takes and that we we have what it takes to not weather one storm, to not weather two storms, but maybe weather two or three storms before we finally figure out what we're supposed to be doing with our lives. And I see so many entrepreneurs that get wooed by the sexiness of all these incredible Silicon Valley overnight, built the app, now the valuation's at $800 bajillion, even though they have no revenue model besides users. And I think we see these success stories and we see, especially now with social media, so many people that are like the self-made billionaire by age 21. And there's so much pressure and so much contrived, uh, you know, that's not genuine on the internet. Um, that I think our expectations of how long it takes, how much it takes, and how scary it can really be are grossly underreported. So I think it's it's I think it's the the unrealistic expectation um, of what it takes. And look, my husband is an investor. Okay, he's a he's a VC, so he invests in fintech companies and startups all the time. And him and his partners will bring me into the calls where entrepreneurs are pitching them Shark Tank ideas because I'm on the entrepreneurial side of the table. So my bullshit meter is a lot higher because I have been the one pitching before. So I know how we <laughs> like to paint the numbers, you know, position 
the story, like, you know, make it persuasive. And so oftentimes, you know, I'll get off the phone and, and we'll all sit down and they'll be like, what did you think? And, and I'll tell them what I think. And, and the investors will always say, but we all know it's going to take twice as long and cost twice as much at least as what they just proposed. And that's something I think we forget as entrepreneurs. And so the failure comes hard and fast and we let it stop us too soon. Yeah, no, a hundred percent. And, and this is what, this is why I was so excited to have you on because the, the belief that you and I both sing, sing loudly, we say it, we say it differently, but it's the same core belief, which is you're not afraid to do the thing or you wouldn't be thinking about the thing, right? You're afraid of what could result from doing the thing. But you're, the reason you're afraid of what could result is because you don't actually trust yourself to be able to navigate it, right? Like you don't even, you can't trust yourself to navigate whatever happens from taking the action. And so how is it that you, you have been, cause you have taken big actions. You have done big things. You have gone off like the normal path and definitely taken your own twists and turns. So what is it then that allows you to tap into your belief in yourself, not to do the scary things, but to navigate the results from the scary things? Well, you know, you have the same background as I do, which is we have probably a higher risk tolerance than most inherently. And I do believe that there is a nature and nurture component. I do believe that the way we were raised, um, the, the stories that we learned around things like money, security, our different individual tolerances for certainty versus uncertainty um, does play a role where some people just sort of have a natural inclination <laughs> to be able to kind of um, be more comfortable in the uncomfortable than others. Um, that is certainly like, I think about maybe, I would say maybe 20% of why, why we're able to sort of start the thing. Right. Um, but I do believe that there's 80% of it that comes down to something you said earlier, which is that these big actions we take and, and, and in my experience, big actions trigger big reactions from others. And this book that I wrote is all about the fact that it's confidence gets us started. We're not afraid. Like, I think a lot of us hear these stories from like self-help books or gurus or coaches. And it's like, women just need to be more confident. We just need to be more confident and dream bigger. And I'm like, I don't know the women that I know, like you and the women we know on Clubhouse and our friends on social media, like they're pretty confident. Like, I don't know if that's what gets us stuck. I don't know if a lack of confidence is actually the real obstacle. And so I started unpacking it for this book and I started interviewing like the grittiest gals that I know. What I found over and over again was they all had one thing in common, which is that they were able to not take the terrible advice of, well, just don't care what anyone thinks about you, which is horrible advice. Because if you don't care what anyone thinks about you, number one, that's never going to happen because you're human, unless you're like a psychopath or a narcissist or something. <laughs> but, you know, if you if you don't care what anyone thinks about you, you wouldn't post on social media. You wouldn't get, you know, dressed nicely in the morning. Like, we're going to care. So that's stupid advice. But all the women that I interviewed, they were like, it's not that I don't care what people think. It's just when the stakes are highest, they're at our most critical crossroads. I care more what I think about my choices. Than anyone else. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Well, and you just that said, is the difference. Yeah. Such the difference. No, such such the difference. And I let and I just circled, right? Like what you said, big actions trigger big reactions. And you know, it's those reactions that really are 
causing people to stop because you're right like the people we know at least in the circles we run in <laughs> we have no problem dreaming big we have no problem <laughs> yeah. like going after right so, and so, in fact sometimes it's kind of like wow that's a huge dream you might want to break that dream down into some actionable <laughs> bite-sized little mini dreams right like maybe that's what you want to do um but and it's also funny that you said you know of course we care what other people think i'm so glad you said that because you hear that all the time don't worry what other people think <laughs> there it just made me chuckle because yeah, right. I, I don't know if you go on on Reddit or not, but I, I went on. I, I, I've made the mistake five times of going on Reddit in my life. And I went on Reddit the other day and there was like a a, a thread and the thread was the, the concept of it was somebody had posted a video and said I of like bodybuilding or something. And they're like, I didn't yeah. do this for other people. I posted this video for me. And somebody was like. No, you didn't. You posted it so that other people could see it, right? Like you posted it because you want, if you did it just for you, you wouldn't have shared the video. You would have made the video you and you would picture. be watching yeah. it. Right. You would just look at yourself, right? You obviously did this because you do care what other people think. And it's like a normal reaction. And I think that that's so important to know and own. But here's the thing, right? There's something you said, it was kind of like worded in your book. I might be paraphrasing. I probably am par paraphrasing it. But the idea is, you know, if people, you said, look, you have to realize, especially as a business owner, that this rejection, the rejection that we're afraid of, because that's one of the big reactions yeah. that can happen, right? To our big actions, our people are like, no, either I don't like you because of this, or I don't like this idea, or I don't like this future for you, or I don't like, so they're rejecting something about it, right? But what you said is, look, they're rejecting what what you're doing or what you're thinking, but they're not rejecting you. And when I work with people yes. to grow their business and step into that CEO role, one thing I have to do is say, especially with solopreneurs and single member LLCs, you know, the solo, the one-offs, I have to remind them, you are not your business. You own a business, mm -hmm. right? You, But there's that corporate mentality that that leads us to believe we are what we do. And I remember I took a girl away on, we, I had this retreat and we were talking to one of the participants and we said, so remember your value isn't in what you do, right? It, that's separate from who you are. And literally she said, no, like literally I've been raised my whole life because <laughs> she was in corporate. And she's like, to say that your value is what you do, right? And so if people are rejecting what you do, they are rejecting who you are because if I'm not what I do, then who am I, right? And I was like, oh, that's such yeah. a corporate... So how how can people how can people do that? How can they separate themselves like in in a mental way so that when people are reacting in a big way, they don't internalize and personalize that to the point of making them stop? What what would be like a tip or two that you would give someone if they keep like facing this big reaction and they're like, "Okay, so I'm letting this big reaction other people have stop me because I don't want the rejection. I don't want to displease people. I don't want to make them upset. So I'm stopping. I'm freezing. I'm not taking action because I take it as a personal reflection on me. How could you start yeah. unwinding those two things for people? Yeah. Well, it's so, God, I mean, it's such a huge point. And I, I think anyone listening, which is probably most of your listeners, Rita, you know, we've worked so hard on our business and we work so hard to be true to our per personal brand and our mission statements. And it's really challenging when you put so much blood, sweat and tears. And it's always funny, like in business, someone will be like, look, it's not personal. It's just business. And you're thinking to yourself, God, then why does it feel so personal? Right? Like, why does it feel like my heart is stabbed open that you just said this wasn't genius. Right? So we all struggle with it. And I remember when, when PMS.com had, you know, 
basically crashed and burned. And I was like crying myself all day, every day and feeling sorry for myself and eating too many peanut butter cups and drinking too much box wine. I was on the beach when my mentors in Laguna and I was walking and just being such a like, woe is me, Eeyore. And she's the one that shook me out of it. And she's like, Aaron, you are not your business. She's like, and then she said, you are not your bloody business. And like, that was a horrible pun that I started <laughs> laughing for the first time. Like, a million years. But it like, it, it like, it just kind of made me think about it. And, and I think um, one thing that over and over again, I have learned to do is to reframe rejection and recategorize reactions. So, so one thing I talk about in the book is the fact that people's reactions to you are reflections of them. Like your boldest, biggest, most badass, audacious move. When people push back, throw up the red lights, cross their arms, shake their head. A lot of times it's because something that you are doing or saying or being is forcing them to look their lives and look at their narratives, look at who they are through a lens that they would rather not. And so oftentimes, for example, if they've told themselves, oh, I couldn't possibly start this venture or move to this place or end this relationship or whatever the thing is, they've convinced themselves of a reason that they can't. And so if they see you a peer or a mentor or someone who reports to them actually doing the damn thing, it makes them very uncomfortable. And so people's reactions are oftentimes just reflections of how what you're doing is making them feel. And so what I talk about a lot in the book is there's all these different ways that you can maybe take a look at some of the red lights that get you stuck, some of the pushback, the feedback, the rejection, or maybe just like the indifference that you experience on your journey towards success. And it talks about ways that you can reframe those red lights as maybe they're actually green lights. Maybe they're actually an indicator that you're doing something big. And one of the chapters is called um, Become a Bad Listener, <laughs> which is one of the tactics that I teach. Oh, that's so funny um, that you say that because that's a question I was going to ask you. So we might as well hop yeah. to that question too. Yeah, like, go for it. When you, say, when you say that, right, like be, that you really need to learn how to be a bad listener. I would love for you to explain that because I found that to be such a great, <laughs> a great concept. Okay, well, so all my chapters are inherently provocative on purpose, right? Even the word audacity is a little bit controversial. Like, oh my God, the audacity she had to say, whatever, right? So it's it's intentionally a little bit to stir the pot. So let me just be clear, okay? The world's greatest salespeople listen twice as much as they speak. Yes, to find the pain point of their prospect, 100%. If you're, you know, I saw on social media, you posted about like how much you love your husband and your partner. You know, if you're having, if he's expressing to you that something you're doing, Rita, is making him feel less than, yes, we want to listen to our partners, right? Like my husband, he's like, stop steamrolling me and listen. I'm like, okay, this is the time when you listen. Like there are moments to listen. Let's just be clear. <laughs> and there are some moments in our, in our personal or professional lives where sometimes listening can be lethal. When sometimes we can hear them with our ears without listening with our hearts. And the difference is I do an, a, a major audit of the truth tellers in my life because obviously you don't want to run around just with your fingers in your ears being a delusional, you know, foghorn a-hole to listen to anybody. But being really careful that when you do hear your inner GPS telling you to go left, when the whole world telling you to go right, but it's this loud, confident moment like in your gut. And you know what? Going with your gut takes guts. It's really hard to do. And it never lets you down. It really doesn't. And and so having the audacity to listen to your gut, that that your intuition is individual. Intuition is not collective. Intuition is not found on Instagram, right? It's you, You're the only one that has your intuition of where you should be going. The only way you can honor that and harness that and unlock that is to become a worse listener and making sure that the voices 
that you may be turning up the volume on to drown out your own, making sure they deserve that seat at the table and just taking a minute to ask yourself, like, am I taking advice from someone that I admire or am I doing the stupid thing that we all do where there's the one hater or the one bad Amazon review or the one guy in the crowd who's leaning back and shaking his head no at you or whatever that we choose to hone in on when 98% of everyone else is leaning forward and saying, tell me more, like evaluating the source of that voice and just double checking and making sure, you know, is that the voice that's going to derail you from listening to yourself? And so there are situations where turning down the volume on others and turning up the volume on yourself is the critical key that the most successful women that I know do differently. Yeah. And I love it. And I hope that what everybody listening is kind of taking taking away, at least for what I hope you're taking away from this, is really what the most important skill is for success. What I believe the most important skill is for success, which is it's not business strategy as a business. People are like, oh, well, what's my strategy? And I'm like, OK, look, strategy is like 5% of your success formula, right? The 95% of your success formula is to get out of your own way enough that you can implement this really killer strategy that you can up with. And the biggest thing, the biggest, most important skill I think you can learn to get out of your own way is what you say. And this is probably a direct quote from you from your book, which is you have to understand and learn how to respond to people's reactions to your actions. You are underprepared, right, to respond. And you need to focus on being prepared enough so that you're able to respond to these reactions because reactions aren't going to stop, right? These reactions are going to happen. And the reactions can either lead you to, you know, the guilt and the worry about what other people are thinking and this comparison place and this imposter place and always feeling like you're lagging and all of these things that you listed in your book, or they can lead you somewhere else. And that's on you to prepare yourself to be able to respond. And so that's a skill that not many people in the business coaching world are talking about that I think is the most important skill for you to ultimately be successful. And I I think your book is full of tools that are able to help people prepare, right? But what would you say is one of the things, like a a tangible exercise? If somebody's listening right now, they're like, great, I don't have the book, but right, I'll go get it. And all of you will go get it because it's going to be in the show notes. And you're going to click on it and you're going to go get the book and you're going to tell me you got it. But like, but for people who are like, cool, but this sounds like me now, what's one thing I can do right now to start tapping into and feeling like I'm prepared to respond to other people's reactions? What would be a tangible exercise that they could do? Yeah. So I think um, one of the ways that well, there's a lot in the book, but um, the one that I personally use the most with the most success, because I, again, as you're leveling up and you know this, Frida, the, the more that you make progress towards your goals, the more that you do elevate towards your dreams, the more the haters crawl out of the woodwork, right? It's almost like it goes hand in hand that, that the number of, of haters in your, in your court that you hear, um, their volume grows as your success grows. It's just inevitable. And so one of the things that that I like to do is um, I like to sort of uh, re reprogram um, how I respond to my haters. So for example, let's say that you're getting a bunch of trolls on in your DMs, or let's say that you just got promoted at work and you have some kind of like a mean girls club or mean dudes club that's that's forming behind your back and they're not inviting you to the event or they're not including you on certain emails or wherever, however they're showing up for you. I swear. The number one thing that I do every day to help me stay audacious and help me spend as much time as I can in my big deal energy is I open up almost every day what I call my Go Girl folder. And my Go Girl folder is a collection of screenshots. And it's screenshots of my advocates. It's screenshots of my super fans. It's screenshots from everyone from my mom, who's biased, to the stranger that sent me an awesome book review 
yesterday from Nepal. I don't know how my book got to Nepal, but anyway, because Amazon's really worldwide. But all the people that are like, what you said, Rita, like when you said this on this podcast, or when I heard you on stage or read this chapter of your book, whenever you have those moments and you get them too, people are, they're giving you the love and they're like, it helped me to level up. It helped me to do this or say this or stop this. I mean, even my, you know, my sister-in-law, I was just visiting back East in Delaware with my sister-in-law, my brother and their kids. And I admire her greatly. She has like her MBA. She lives in Boston. She's a smart cookie, Boston consultant group. Like she's a genius. I'd like, I never would think a that she would even read my book, let alone listen to it, let them actually try something from it. But there was a chapter about how more is not always more and how our definition of success has to be ours, not the world's. Anyway, so she gets this huge opportunity to get this monster job at Salesforce. And it's like all this more money, it's all this more responsibility and all this more travel. And she was like, well, of course, that's the next step up. Well, she was reading my book and read the chapter and realized that her gut was like, it's okay that I like where I am now. Like it's not being complacent when I enjoy the space and the time to be with my kids. So long story short, she basically turned down the job, but felt really good about it because she was honoring what she knew that she had found, which was a semblance of balance in her life for the first time. And she was really okay with it. So, so, you know, even just like, she didn't like, obviously she just told me a bit of a glass of wine, but I wrote everything down later that night and I'm in my journal and took a picture of it to put it in my go girl folder because she's someone that I really respect and admire. So cultivating that go girl folder, pulling it out when you need it. If you're nervous before you go on stage, have those screenshots on your phone that you can flick through from the last time that you crushed it. You know, if you're nervous to, you know, approach someone in a personal relationship that you are just so afraid of their reaction, you know, call back the last time someone texted you and was like, thanks for listening. You're the best. Like just kind of like refilling your tank and making sure you're going in fully loaded will greatly elevate your chances of being able to sort of say, thanks for your thoughts. I'm hearing them with my ears, but I'm not listening with my heart. Yeah, no, that's so good. I love that, guys. So hopefully you're all going to go make a Go Girl folder and you're going to, you know, tell us everything that's in this folder. You know, one thing that I saw in your history, Erin, that you must have had like some Go Girl stuff happening for you to do this was something about the World Irish Dancing Championships. Oh my so gosh. I have to ask you about this because I'm like, surely that's in your Go Girl folder that you did that. And like, tell me, though, that's not like something that when I was reading the rest of your, you know, Baltimore and the rest of your history that I would be like, well, of course, Aaron would participate in the World Irish Dancing Championships. Tell me oh a little God. bit about what led you to this. Uh, <laughs> I thought I buried that search result. It should be on like page 12 of Google, but no, you're so sweet. Um, yeah, so the, the Irish dancing thing, I grew up in a super crazy Irish family, um, Irish Catholic family. We have like the Irish passports. My grandparents were all from Ireland. So naturally, it's all about, you know, God, gratitude, Guinness, and Irish step dancing because we are a stereotype. I have like 38 first cousins. It's not a big deal. Um, so anyway, I was doing Irish dancing and was chosen when I was like 14 or 15 to represent the United States in the World Irish Dancing Championships. And it was like such a big deal. And we were like, you know, there was like the media and newspapers and, you know, the Washington Post and all this stuff. And of course, being 14, 15, you know, our worlds are pretty small. We have our neighborhood, we have our high school. And so I got pretty confident, pretty cocky. Like I am Michael Flatley, Lord of the Dance. Right? Like, I got pretty egotistical. Well, it turns out, Rita, we go over to Ireland and we compete against all these other countries, Canada, Australia. I mean, Irish dancing is in all kinds of countries. Well, I came in almost dead last in one of my competitions. And it was the craziest, best thing that could have ever happened because all of a sudden I realized that the world's a really big place. 
there's always going to be someone, no matter how good you are, no matter how hard you try, no matter how you know much you've invested in something, there's someone who's going to be better than you and and going to win first place and going to be from maybe have like you know be prettier, richer, richer, skinnier, have the bigger house, have the bigger boat. It's like an endless um, world that you can compare yourself against. And and I'll never forget that lesson of being like really taking a minute and being like, you know what, I can either decide to feel robbed or less than or not enough because I was the best in the U.S but one of the worst in the world. Or I could choose to look at my accomplishment and feel really proud of what I did and really honor it and own it and feel really grateful that I had the opportunity. I chose the latter. And I swear, I think about that so much when I'm on Instagram and I go down the black hole scroll of everyone has their shit together except for me, that feeling that we all get of like, oh my gosh, more likes, more followers, bigger stages. I mean, we have to be so careful when we're on there about being aware and remembering that what we see is not real. There's always someone doing better and make sure that we really are stoked on our own journey. And sometimes keeping our eyes on our own paper really is a smart way to protect that energy source. And I certainly think that healthy healthy competition is really powerful, but unhealthy comparison certainly is not. Yeah. Well, and, you know, I've said on this podcast before that my definition of success is not external. And I think that people should not have an external definition of success because that's what holds you up and keeps you in this never ending loop of like always having to chase the next goal. But it's not about what you're getting. It's not the followers or or winning the competition or anything like that. It's who you're being. Right. If you can measure internally, like, am I showing up as the kind of person I want to show up as in life and the world, then that's success because you have total control over that, right? And like you showed up as the person you wanted to be. You went for it, right? You had this goal, you went for it, and you can measure your success by the fact that you did those things. You showed up as that person, right? So I kind of want to pivot the conversation slightly to goals because you do talk about that a lot and you help people so much with that. So um, why do so many people fail to achieve their goals. And they'll spend a lot of time setting like good goals. They'll have these goals and then they don't achieve them. And I know that kind of to, to even like give the spoiler alert here a little bit and where I wanted to go a little bit is, is that idea yeah. that they're not maybe setting goals that really matter, right? You've talked about that. Like how to set goals that actually matter. So what are people doing there where they might not be setting the right goals and how can they get to the place where they know that the goals that they're setting are the ones that are actually going to make an impact and move them forward. Yeah, there's so much to unpack with that question. And I mean, you do a lot of posting around goal setting and accountability. And I always see like your perfect planner with your your day laid out and you're always moving the needle towards your goals in an organized fashion. So I just want to applaud you for the way that you lay out your days because your time blocking <laughs> is your time blocking is goals, truthfully. Hashtag goals right there. Um But yeah, I mean, I think that one of the things, particularly as women, when it comes to not achieving our goals, I think you you sort of hit on it. Oftentimes, I don't think that we do enough self-reflection on the, the why behind why this goal matters. So a lot of times, you know, we all look at our journals, we'll put down, okay, here's our fiscal goal for the year. You know, like mine every year is the same. I'm like, I want to weigh 140 pounds. I want to make a million dollars in one year. And I want to spend less than one hour on social media. That's my goal for the last three years. Okay. And then this year, the first year when I looked at that and I was like, but why are these 
what's my goals? Like, who cares if I'm 140 pounds? Like, like who, like, am I healthy? Did I survive COVID? Like, should I be grateful for the body that I have? Then I'm like, well, why a million dollars? Like, everyone knows your happiness level goes down after 250 anyway. Like, more money, more problems. Like, what are you going to do with that money that you don't have now, you know? And then I, I went through all these different things, like social media. Like, yeah, but you're building your business and you're meeting people. Like, maybe it's okay that you spend a lot of time on social media if you're spending more time creating than consuming. And going through this whole thing and, like, reevaluate all my goals. And I realized that the reason that my goals weren't the right goals to set was because I think I knew a long time ago that they weren't really serving me. And so, but I think I was afraid of changing my goals because sometimes I think as women, we feel like if we change our mind, that that somehow is flaky or irresponsible or not professional or like we're giving up on ourselves. And I think the permission to change our minds about what success looks like, and I have permission to authorize ourselves that our goal might be it might change depending on what happens, depending on what what happens, you know, with your relationships or in the world with the pandemic or, you know, even in our industries, like as speakers, like our industry has been completely disrupted in all levels. And maybe what success looked like six months ago or three months ago is not the same. And I think authorizing yourself to look at what you're chasing down. And if it doesn't feel right, it doesn't feel as exciting or as strategic as it once did. Instead of just saying, I'm going to hang in there till I achieve them just to check off the achievement of it, hanging in for the goal for the sake of that, that need to be consistent that we all have as, as responsible adults and responsible humans, authorizing yourself to, and I hate this word, um, what's the word for pivot? Like make a hard left and not judge it, I think is the difference between then finally achieving not just any goal, but achieving the right ones. Oh, it's so good. It's like to reevaluate that permission to reevaluate. I shared the story once about my husband and I and how we had set a goal to move to Key West. In fact, we should be there technically according to that goal right now. We we had made this goal to move to Key West and we set a date and we were going to do it. And then we we realized we reached our milestones to be able to do that earlier than we anticipated. And I remember we were we were actually in Barbados. We were sitting on a beach and we were like, I said, you, you realize we can do it now. Like we could move to Key West now. And I was not excited when I said that. And he was not excited hearing me say that. And we were like, well, why are we not excited about this? And it's because, right, for three years, we have been working towards that goal. Well, when you're working towards a goal, you become a different person, right? Every day you wake up, you become a different person. And so the people we were three years later, when we finally reached that goal, like that ability to, to live into that goal, who we had become because of everything we had to do to get to that place, we we weren't the same people and our new versions of ourselves didn't want to do that anymore. Right. And we were able to say, oh, well, you know, maybe we should. Let, and we felt some guilt around that around letting because we had told everybody we were going to move to Key West. And like, so I, I really resonate with that. And I think that that's so important. I love that topic. That's a topic for another whole day, like how to give yourself yeah. permission to, to change your goals. Um, I, I really do love that. What what is your definition of success, Erin, if you had to define success? Freedom. 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 Hands yeah. down. Freedom. I mean, I mean, my what my goal is, honestly, is I want to spend the most time possible on this planet doing things that I really want to do. And not like in a selfish way. I mean, obviously, like, you know, you want to serve, you want to show up. Like there's a million times where you're like, okay, I have to show up for this thing because I said that I would. Okay, you know, so and so is 
you know, I really need to invest time with this girlfriend. You know, she's not in a hard place, but now we've gone through this 19,000 times. She's not making a change, but I'm going to keep showing up for her because what friends do. There's a million times that you do things that you don't really want to do, right? But I mean, um, from a professional standpoint, I want to have the least amount of calls on my calendar that make me sigh and kind of roll my eyes like, I really wish this call didn't have to happen. You know, those calls, like those, like if it's a client call or I want my calendar to be like, for example, like this podcast, like when I saw this podcast at 10 o'clock, I was like, oh, I'm so excited to talk to Rita. It's going to be so fun. Like, I want to feel like that about as much of my time and my appointments and my meetings and what I do as possible. And I think that when you reach a certain level of success and life by design, you can afford to spend a lot of time doing things that really bring you joy. And that to me is like the ultimate, because I have so many friends and this is why I pivoted from running Socialite. I mean, Socialite Agency was crushing it. We were working with like, you know, Visa, Siemens, Johnson & Johnson, Mutual of Omaha, I mean, our client list, like not to be like braggadocious, but we were working with some pretty big clients. I was making so much money. And to this day, I have never made as much money as when I was running my agency full-time five, five years ago. And I was the most miserable Rita that I ever was because I was chained to my desk. I was a slave to my schedule. I remember one time I was visiting my parents back east and I had like, I was, you know, I was supposed to be on vacation, right? Rehoboth Beach, hang out with my family, like quality time. And everyone was going to the beach and I had all these calls that I hadn't been able to get out of because I was the CEO. I had, you know, 15 W2s knocking down my text and my door and my email. And I remember I was like looking at the dog and the dog was like sleeping by the front door and like in the sunshine. I remember feeling like jealous of the dog. Of the dog. <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> okay, this low point. Like everyone's going to the beach. You're jealous of the dog. Yeah, sure. You can like pick up the tab and feel like a big boss at, you know, the fancy steakhouse or whatever. But like, is this success? Like, is this what success feels like? And we all know so many friends of ours that are, you know, leveling up and crushing it. And then what happens? All of a sudden they go dark on social media for six months because they had like a mental breakdown. They, they had burnout. They had to go to sabbatical because they just couldn't take it anymore. And that to me is just not success, not have the freedom to even enjoy it, you know? So that's how I define it. No, I love that. And I mean, that's what I, I really, for, for everyone listening to, like, I hope you really take away that you can have a business and a life you love. You, it just may mean making different decisions, but you have to be first clear, what is important to me about the life I'm living? Then how can I make decisions to create a business model that supports that. So I'm curious, Erin, for you, right, knowing that freedom yeah. is important to you, know, you've checked off these big goals. I mean, you just, you published this incredible book, right? You have this book out there in the world. What are some of the next goals for Erin or what is the next big goal for Erin? Well, my goal, honestly, Rita, is, um, well, first of all, I need to figure out how book launches work because I'm really Googling a lot. I don't really know what I'm doing. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm on I'm doing podcasts, you know, I'm doing, I did a bunch of like, oh, this is not, like, to your point earlier. Like I did a bunch of broadcast TV interviews and it looked cool on Instagram, but like later I'm sitting here, I'm like, does anyone even watch broadcast? Was anyone even watching? Like, who cares? Like, is anyone even <laughs> watching TV anymore? Like, this is like, so, so I think, you know, my goal is I really want the stories in this book to get into the hands of as many women who really need them as possible. Because I don't know about you, but there have been so many times in my life where I've been at a really tough crossroads. And I feel like books are like friends, right? They come and find you when you need them most. Like how many times are you like totally confused and someone's like, oh, there's this book or you hear it, I open a book and all of a sudden you're like two chapters and you're like, I feel seen, I feel clear, I've got this. Like so many times I have books that have helped me to affect real change in my life. And so I'm just, praying that I can get this book into as many hands as possible with the hopes that maybe there's 
you know, a gal somewhere, you know, in the middle of nowhere that picks it up and just, you know, takes that hard left when everyone's telling her to go right and ends up being better for it. So that's like, I mean, it's a very big beauty pageant answer, but I really, really want to get this book out there at scale. Um, and not certainly not to make money because you do not make money from books, but because I really love having more screenshots for my go girl folder because it helps me to remember why I do what I do. And it just, it feels so damn good, doesn't it? I mean, when you get those messages, so that's kind of my hope. I'm so glad. And I'm so glad you said that. A couple of episodes ago, I had my buddy Mike Alden on the podcast and we were talking about books and I said, look, you need to share this message. And now you've heard it from someone else. Guys, you don't make a lot of money writing a book. That should not be the reason (laughs) you go to write a book to make a lot of money, right? Like, let's just be honest. So if that's because I get so many people saying, well, Rita, I want to make a lot of money. I'm just going to write a book. And I'm like, oh, okay. Like, so now you've heard it from somebody else other than me. I mean, right? Like not to dash dreams, but like it shouldn't be the motivating reason no. for writing a book. And it, <laughs> but it wasn't yours. So if you had to, to sum up the message, right, the message that you have for this book, what would that message statement be? Well, the message of the book, there's a lot of messages, but I, I would say if it's, if it's like the tweet that you're, I love that you're forcing me to do it like yes. in a tweet length answer. Tweetable moment, Erin. Tweetable, tweetable moment. moment. I'm like, my marketing <laughs> brain is like sweating right now. I'm like, okay, 140 characters. Um, <laughs> no, but, but I, I think that, I mean, the, the idea that the biggest idea of the book is that the next time that you find yourself at a situation where you feel like you don't have what it takes, you feel like you're not ready. You feel like you should do something, but it doesn't feel right. I hope that you remember that you are a big deal. You do have what it takes. You are freaking ready, not someday, but right now. And that you unlock that big deal energy and you fucking do it. Sorry for yeah. my language. I love it. You're a that's, big deal. You're ready now and it's time to do it. All right. There you go. You're it's a big deal. You're ready now. Go. Time- yeah. And the support that you need to make it happen is in Aaron's book. You're kind of a big deal. Level up by unlocking your audacity. And I'll put the link in the show notes, guys, so that you're able to find the book. But Aaron, and I'll also put all of these other links too. But Aaron, where can people find you if they're like, I want to connect with it. this girl has a lot of energy and I do want to take some of that big deal, Aaron, and like infuse it as my own. So where's the best place for them to come find you, learn more about you and connect with you. Yeah, I'm on Instagram. I, mean, I hate Instagram, but I'm on there. I'll admit it. I mean, at Mrs.Aaron.King. Um, I have all my DMs. I have someone that helps me, you know, monitor them 24-7. So you'll get an answer within six hours if you DM me on Instagram um, with any of your questions or any of your thoughts or any way that I can help show up and serve for you. I'm here. And I just can't thank you enough, Rita, for having me on your awesome podcast. You're a great interviewer, by the way. Oh, thank you. You're a great guest. And I'm really glad that I had you here. And guys, hopefully you're going to get the book. When you do, take a photo, tag Aaron in it, tag me in it. Let us know that you're a big deal too. And we can't wait to message you and talk to you and find out what you're doing to bring out into the world and how you're doing it. And we will catch you. I will catch you next week on another episode of the Read and Me Do It show. Have a great week, everyone. Hey, before you go, thank you for listening to my show. I hope that you enjoyed this episode. Please take a minute to subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts or wherever it is that you get your podcasts and leave a review. It'll only take you a second, but it will help other people discover the Rita Mimi Do It show. And my goal is to share this business boosting and life-changing content with as many people as possible. In fact, because I value your time so much, Every month, one reviewer will win a free coaching call with me. So if you want to get laser focused and go all in on the results that you most want in your business, then leave a review now. 
And then head on over to RitaMamieDoIt.com where you can find the show notes from today's episode. <laughs>